Moncrief on News Talk. Now, I mentioned earlier a new book which explores the historic maps of Dublin City, tracing its evolution through an examination of the hygiene, the urban planning, even the car parking story of the nation's capital. Joining me now is Joe Brady, co-author of Dublin, Mapping the City. Joe, uh, you're very welcome. How are you today? It's great to be here. Thanks very much. And and congratulations. Can can I say, it makes it sound very dry there when you discuss the evolution of hygiene, urban planning and car parking. But it's actually an amazing book that completely brings the city to life. Well, I'm glad you like it. It was it was great fun doing it. As you can imagine, we we poured over loads and loads of different maps, and we wondered, you know, which ones were we going to leave in, and which ones are we going to are, are we going to take out? You see, maps tell stories, and what we're doing here is we're trying to tell stories about the city of Dublin using a selection of maps. And I'm glad that you found it interesting. Some of the stories you tell though are absolutely jaw dropping. For instance, I'd say a lot of listeners would be very surprised to know that the Soviet Union had a map of Dublin, of yeah. Ireland. Well, I love that because it it's it's part of my generation. My yeah. generation grew up with the Soviet Union as the big bad bear out there, and they were going to eventually annihilate us. And people of again, my generation would remember that every household had a copy of this little booklet, Boss Baha, which told us how we were going to survive a, uh, not quite a nuclear strike, but certainly the radioactivity around it. And it was hopefully optimistic. I mean, there was no chance whatsoever that any, anything that was in the book was going to happen. So to find that the Soviet Union were actually doing something about it was actually quite a shock. You it's know? a bit chilling. Yeah. You, you, you know, you sort of assumed that it was out there and that, you know, that maybe they were going to attack, you know, they're going to attack London, they're going to attack Paris or they're going to attack Washington. But the fact that they actually bothered to do something about Dublin tells you a lot about the mindset, which you mightn't know. So what, what kind of targets have they got? Well, and when, when exactly is this now? Just what they did was, what they did was they, they lifted an Ordnance Survey map from yeah. about the early 1970s. Okay. And then they got it updated. So the map itself is dated from 1980. It's a big map. It's okay. four sheets. You know, it, 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 it would cover your normal kitchen table. And what they did was they looked at it at from, from a number of viewpoints. So as you would expect there are the economic targets. So there's the, the, the oil storage tanks down in the docks. Uh, there are the military targets. So they identify the barracks and so on. There are the civilian targets. So they identify uh, the, the Bank of Ireland. They identify Trinity College and things like that. And they're all colour-coded. And there's a very interesting summary of the city on the map itself, which is not bad. Now, what's comforting about it is that so much of it is wrong. Right. Because clearly whoever their representative was in the city wasn't doing a great job because they must have had somebody said, you know, go out and check right. and see what these things are. So, for example, they, they identified the magazine fort in yeah. the Phoenix Park. Now, I think the last time that there was anything interesting in the magazine fort in the Phoenix Park, probably 1921 or 22, okay. they identified the Royal Hospital. Uh, they missed the Oireachtas. Uh, they got Trinity College, but for somebody like me who was from UCD, I was comforted from the fact <laughs> that they hadn't quite managed to get the fact that UCD was out in Belfield. All right. So, 
sorry, National Council Paul, <laughs> you were going to get it, right. but we were going to be we there. We were safe. Well, thank God for that. So there was a Soviet spy walking around Dublin in 1980. There has to be. Making notes. Well, they have to send somebody over. I wonder they who have he have was. Somebody to, who to, he was and where is he now? Well, he didn't, he didn't do a good job. Thank so, God. So, so, Still a know. bit of a chill, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, other stories that you tell. I mean, the, the earliest maps date back to around, is it the 1600s? But see, the earliest map that we know of yeah. is dated 1610. There was, okay. there was a one before that because we know because the guy who produced that first map John Speed stole it and he tells us that he stole it so 1610 is that first map of Dublin which you see everywhere because it has to work very hard that's used to give us an indication of what the city looked like before that because if you remember we celebrated the millennium of the city in 1988 so it's got to cover that period and it's also 100 years until the next one so that little map, and it's only a little map, is, is, is overused, but it's our first indication of what the city looked like. Okay, and a large part of that was, was based on trying to get ships in safely, isn't it? That was well, one largely... Well, one of the themes that runs through the book yes. is that Dublin Port has been troublesome since the very beginning. In fact, if you're going to score the Vikings, if you're going to give the Vikings a score on, 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 on a letter grade, you'd be giving them a D-. minus. You'd be saying, good pass, lads. Great if you're coming in to raid the place but not great for bringing bigger ships into it because, as you know, there are two big sandbars. You know, there's what is the Bull Island and then there's Sandy Mount and that. And then what's not visible, there is a sandbar right across the port called the Dublin Bar. And the Dublin Bar meant that ships could not get into the port unless the wind was exactly in the right direction and the tides were right. And the place is littered with shipwrecks. The bay is literally littered. So the story is about the bay is about trying to tame that. And that's why we've got these two walls. So you you see in some of the maps the story as to how these walls are built. And of course, it's a story of we might do this. We might do this. This didn't work. We would try that. It also tells a great social history too, doesn't it? Of how how the city is changing and what's changing it. Well, I suppose it's true because If you go to the trouble of creating a map, you're doing it for some kind of social or economic purpose. And so what you get there is you get the changing city as it moved from the medieval core back in the after the 1660s, moves out eastwards into what becomes the Georgian city. The problems that we have with the Georgian city in the 19th century into the 20th century, problems of decay, and then eventually the regeneration of the city in the 1980s. And these are all captured in maps because they say they're great at telling stories. It's fascinating. It really is. And one of those stories is the... It's really the story of the car in a way. We call it traffic, but it's really what the car does to Dublin, isn't it? Uh, well, the, the, the love affair between Dubliners and the car goes back to the first cars that ever arrived. And despite the fact that we have a city centre, which is actually well designed, it's totally unsuited to the car. But try telling that to Dubliners, because if you look through the, the photographs of the city from the 1920s up to the present day, you will see that the streets are literally littered with cars. People would park anywhere. Yes. They're on O'Connell Bridge. There are two lanes of parked cars on O'Connell Street. You go back to the 1930s and the first, and they are draconian attempts to control the car. So that there was an infamous 20-minute parking uh, rule on Grafton Street, for example. So you had 20 minutes. It would take you 10 minutes to get the car in and 10 minutes to get the car out. 
It doesn't leave an awful lot of time to lash into the switches and get the Christmas no, presents. No, it didn't. It didn't, I'm afraid. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, the, you also had the bizarre circumstance whereby Grafton Street switched from two-way to being one-way. Uh, with You know, a yeah. clock goes being, next thing, lad, sorry, but you're going up a one-way street. You can imagine the chaos of that. <laughs> As for parking meters... Parking meters were the, the ultimate solution because, <laughs> see, as I say, there'd been all these controls. There'd been all these controls, but these controls hadn't generated an awful lot of money. Yeah. But parking meters is the opportunity both to put in control and actually make some money out of it. it takes a long time to do it. Nothing happens fast in this city. But by 1969, they're ready to introduce parking meters. 1970 sees the introduction. And by the end of 1970, they're almost everywhere. And of course. Oh, at the, but there were some nice things about it, that early part. The, the, the parking regulations ran from 8.30 in the morning till 6.30 at night. You could only park for two hours, but the parking wardens didn't come on till, until 10. So from <laughs> half eight until 10 o'clock, you could have a go. <laughs> I love these stories. There's, me, there's so many. There's Daniel O'Connell's funeral, um, the, the map for that, which is fascinating. There, there's um, where this, this little Irish colony, um, Irish-speaking colony, is wonderful. But one that really st- struck my uh, eye was 1941. And there's kind of, it looks like a slight battle between the corporation and the Catholic Church. Oh, it wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't a slight okay. battle. It was a much bigger battle. Okay, there was the big argument as to where the cathedral was going to be built. And to be honest, the Diocese of Dublin didn't really want to build a cathedral. They'd more to be going on. But they'd been bounced into getting Merrion Square for the site for the cathedral, and that's where it was going to be. Fast forward to 1939, Dublin Corporation produces its new draft development plan, you might call it, it is the sketch plan for the development plan for the city. And Abercrombie has come along and he's put the cathedral on uh, the keys. And the, the corporation are looking at this. And the archdiocese goes nuts. Yeah. Absolutely goes nuts. And there's a famous case of where, where the, the, the Lord Mayor of the time, uh, um, Mrs. Cleary, the, the, uh, uh, Mrs. Clark, I should say, uh, the, the, the widow of Tom Clark, uh, is, you know, she's taken to task about this and she bites yeah. back and says, you know, the corporation not going to be told by any yes. cleric as to where the cathedral is going to go. We didn't get it, of course. Right. <laughs> there was a great quote, um, I think it was an Irish Independent article about it, where it said, um, it fell either between two stools or, or a stall between two fools. <laughs> it's a great line. Um, wonderful. Joe, it's an amazing story, and it's for anyone who loves Dublin, and I certainly do, to see the story of the city like this so visually, it's, it's very exciting. Well, uh, what's nice about it, I think, and what we think is a good point, is that the stories are short. Yeah. So there's a map and there's a story. And you don't have to read it from beginning to end. So it's the kind of thing dip that we hope it. that people will dip in and out of it and that they'll enjoy the maps themselves. Some of them are works of art. Absolutely. And that, and, and that yeah. they'll enjoy the story. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.